good morning, New Life Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. We are jumping back into James after Christmas week. And this passage has had me pondering how I wait. What was the last thing you anticipated? Was it Christmas or some other event? Something you had been waiting for and it dominated your thoughts. If your mind ever wandered, it would come back into focus on that particular thing or that particular day. If you are anticipating something good, it is hard to wait. It could be a birthday or a graduation day. It could be a wedding or the arrival of a child or a grandchild, a new job or perhaps the quitting of an old job, maybe a vacation or just the arrival of a day of Sabbath, a day of rest. And depending on the gravity of that day, it looms large. And when the truth of the anticipated arrival is always present on the mind, it's difficult to wait. Patience is difficult. And the greater the beauty of the thing, the greater the beauty of the day, the more it should hold a place in our mind demanding our attention, demanding our longing and requiring waiting, requiring patience. And even as I pondered that, if what lies between now and the arrival of a good day includes suffering, the waiting can seem unbearable. And every experience of suffering announces itself in vicious contrast to the good day for which you long. You've sat in this tension, right? I mean, a hard day at work makes you anticipate Saturday more. And friends, the greatest day is the one we are all still waiting for. And we all wait for it together. The day of the coming of the Lord. And if James has taught us nothing else in this letter, it is that we can anticipate suffering in the days between today and that coming day. So as James begins to draw his letter to a close, and our series to a close, he will remind us of what our posture should be while we wait for Jesus. Wait well, fellow Christians, James says. The Lord is coming, Christians. Wait well together until his return. And James, through this passage, we're going to be in in chapter 5, starting in 7, going through verse 12. He will bring up three examples of patience and give us three actions that should define our waiting together. He'll start with an example. We're going to read from verse 7. He says, be patient. Be patient. James uses this word or something like it, steadfastness or endure He uses it five times in this passage, and it is a small passage. It is very clear what his focus is. Be patient. Be patient. And if one is patient, how is he characterized? The original word here points to a tranquil waiting. And that has my mind looking at a calm body of water, perhaps a mountain lake shielded by the winds not interjected by waves or disturbances. The birds are in the air and their songs are of joy, not of fright. You want to sit by a tranquil place because it will not add to your stress. 
You look out and it sits there tranquil, and its posture will be the same today as it will be a decade from now. Tranquil waiting. When one is patient, he is not blustering about. When one is patient, she is not yelling and causing a start. He is not prone to outbursts. The waiting is tranquil. It is patient. And Christian, in the interim, between the advents of God, Christmas, and the future advent of God, your posture should be characterized by tranquil waiting, patience. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. Therefore, James says, because I have walked through this letter, and specifically at the beginning of this chapter called woes on the rich who condemn the righteous, because I've called out the coming day of slaughter, the day of judgment, therefore, because the day is coming, brothers, fellow Christians, be patient until the coming of the Lord. There are wrongs in this world that will ultimately be righted. There are evildoers who will be put in their place. Injustice will not prevail when the Lord comes. And because that is true, be patient. Brothers, sisters, siblings of Jesus. And just as an aside, you know that's right. You know that's true. Not only is the earthly brother of Jesus, James, calling Christians brothers, we are fellow heirs with Christ. We are in Jesus' family. We are siblings of Jesus, waiting for family to return. So brothers, sisters, be patient. And be patient like a farmer. We live in a time full of production cycles and distribution chains and global food markets and corner store availability. It is all incredible and has done great good for the world. But one thing we are no longer likely acquainted with is the posture of a farmer to the food. See, the farmer does action now in anticipation of filling a need in the future. The farmer tills the ground and plants the seeds in the spring because he wants to eat in the fall. Our relationship with food is not a patient one. We can decide what to make for dinner tonight and then go to the store and pick up the ingredients even if those ingredients are not in season in our state or in our country but see the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth they planted the grain months ago they may have planted the trees years ago and all sorts of blustery behavior impatience will not cause the fruit to come any faster instead the farmer engages in tranquil waiting. The rain comes, the early and the late. Not just the first sign of rain, but the full cycle of the seasons. And still the farmer waits. The seasons must come in the cycles, and the farmer works and waits through them in patience. And the farmer has to be patient even when he is hungry. His grumbling stomach will not make the stalks grow faster. The vine does not grow rapidly because he is thirsty. The tranquil waiting must continue until the day of harvest arrives. And friends, be like the farmer. 
patiently waiting for the day when his hunger is satiated. And friends, to use the words of Jesus, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, be patient. The day is coming. And frankly, friends, I hope you hunger and thirst. I hope there are days when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you long for justice. I hope your appetite is attuned to the character and actions of the coming King. I hope there are days you wake up and say, I want righteousness so bad I can taste it. I long to have my fill. I want to see the character of God writ large on the world and completely in my soul. I want your stomachs to grumble. And when it does, when your stomachs hunger for righteousness and hunger for justice, be patient like the farmer working in the fields in full anticipation of the harvest. Because that is a hunger that will be satisfied with the coming of the Lord. James continues in verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, be patient. Did you forget what I was telling you to do? He says it again. Be patient. You also be patient. And what will help your tranquil waiting? What is an action you can take? This is the first one. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do you establish your heart Do you speak truth to your heart? Do you remind yourself of truth and gospel and good news and keep it in the front of you so that your heart is established, inwardly firm and committed? The heart is greatly influenced by the story it is given. It is degraded or torn down by lies or it is invigorated and propped up by truth, by commitment. Waiting is hard and we need established hearts not weakened hearts. What you give your mind to ponder or your heart to dwell on will determine the strength of your heart. Do you give more time to establishing it in truth, in this story of the victory of the coming king, or do you coax it to frenzy and impatience, to fret and worry? Do you devote yourself to reading or watching or viewing things that pull your allegiance to something else? Is your time spent divided? Patience is not a given. Tranquil waiting is a virtuous practice that involves establishing your heart, strengthening your heart, girding it up with truth and commitment. And and here's a hint. You cannot do this alone. You do that in the community of Christ, the pockets of community that are waiting for Jesus. If you are not in a pocket of community at New Life Church, we call them life groups, you need to commit to one because it is community that will help you push your heart to truth when you find yourself chafing, when you find yourself joining a posture other than that of patience and steadfastness. James says, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts because we are in a different age. We have seen the first humble advent of the King. That's what Christmas is. We just celebrated His first coming, His first arrival. 
We have seen the death of the suffering servant. We, in this age, have seen the resurrection of the Messiah. We live in the age of gospel. Good news proclaimed, of truth revealed, and truth proclaimed. We live in the age of the anticipation of a certain second advent of the Lord. Before the coming of Jesus, it was a different age, a different time, a different expectation. Ours is not a path of practice as the ancients, not knowing what would come or how it would come. Ours is a path of knowledge of hope, known expectation. Now the coming is at hand. The day is on the horizon. The redemption and restoration of all creation is in anticipation, firm anticipation. Ours is not a perspective of uncertainty. Ours is a perspective of hope. Ours is not a posture of ignorance. Ours is a knowledge that our King will come in glory. So establish your hearts, New Life Church. Bind it up with gospel. Invigorate it with the reality of the advent of the King. Speak truth to your soul. And don't let the lies of the day be the loudest thing your heart hears. Establish your hearts, for we anticipate a great day. The day is dawning. The sun is soon to expel the darkness. Aslan is on the move. The king is on the horizon. Let not your weary hearts be troubled. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And another action. In verse 9, James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. While we wait, we will undoubtedly suffer. And we all know it is easiest to get snippy with those closest to us. When the days are not good, when things are hard and painful, I can grumble against a brother, against a sister. I can let the tongue go back to its old ways, its hellish ways, its fire-starting ways. I can make a sharp remark here and cut someone there. I can ignore or disregard a fellow Christian or knock them down. The enemy, the sower of division, would love nothing more than to have you mimic his ways. Who smiles when brothers of the king avoid each other or speak against each other? It is not the king, but the opposition that smiles. In your waiting, in your patience, do not grumble. These are your brothers, fellow siblings of Jesus. You are waiting for the same king. You need to wait together. You need to walk together. You need to be patient together. And for the sake of the Lord, you need to have your tongues exemplify your king, not your enemy. And if you needed a warning, the king you wait for is not simply the Lord. He is also the judge. And the same immediacy that defines the coming of the Lord also tells us the proximity of the judge. The day is at hand and the judge is at the door. 
Not only is judgment close, but he can hear you. He's standing at the door. He can hear you grumbling against your brother in the room. And the one who hears is the one who judges. Why not tranquilly wait with your brothers rather than grumble against them? I need my brother so much more than I gain from grumbling against him. Would you not rather with smiles and hopeful expectations stand side by side with your brothers and sisters waiting for Jesus to come through the door? The return will be sudden. And I don't want you to be caught off guard talking smack about your brother or sister. Paul says Jesus comes like a thief in the night. Jesus repeats the idea in Revelation. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I don't want you to be taken unaware in contention with a brother. In conflict with a life group unreconciled in community, in a grumbling posture towards your fellow heirs of the kingdom. Can you imagine sitting in your living room grumbling about a person in your life group or that person that sits on the other side of the church? You were talking and then Jesus returns and walks right through the front door. What are you doing? And what a waste of time. What a waste of energy grumbling against a brother. What a stupid thing to do with my tongue while Jesus is at the door. The judge is at the door. And why not scare us a little bit into engaging good and right action? It's scary to think of Jesus at the door. Love your neighbor. Love your brother. This is what he told you to do He has died to atone for your sins. Their cost is substantial. Why would you continue in them while you wait for the judge to return? He is waiting at the door. James continues. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience... Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. He says, be patient like the farmer. Be patient, long-suffering, suffer well like the prophets. Those prophets who proclaim the word of the Lord in the face of opposition, in the face of danger and death, in the face of kings or whole peoples who did not want to hear them. They carried on, suffering as they went, speaking the words of God, pointing to his promises. The summary of the prophets in Hebrews is poignant. It describes their suffering. The author says, Prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect." Be patient like the patient suffering prophets. Despite all the suffering and difficulty, they patiently spoke in the name of the Lord, waiting for the promise. The promise that was executed at the arrival of Jesus. And now James can point to them as an example of how to wait, how to be patient, how to suffer well until the day of the coming of the Lord. And friends, this call to patience and steadfastness is not a call to stoicism in the face of suffering with no relief in sight, with nothing to be expected. These are examples of those waiting for the promises. Friends, you need better examples. You need better examples than the characters on your TV screens. You need better models than the influencers and the anchors. Better exemplars than the politicians and the stars. Your story is greater than their story. And the patience required to endure is not modeled in the world. Nowhere around us. We belong to a better story that ends with blessing. And the road can be hard because the world doesn't want your story. They want to give you a different story, a different hope, a false hope. They have sawn profits in half because they don't like your story. And frankly, the world is not worthy of the people that belong to the story. The prophets who proclaim the coming glory of the king, the king who comes fulfilling promises. And James says, Behold, see, we consider them blessed who remain steadfast. I hear the echoes again of the Sermon on the Mount. The words of Jesus, the brother of James, the words of the Lord who will return. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Read the prophets. See their example. Use them as a means to establish your heart around the truth. The words of the Lord, the posture, steadfastness, and direction of our hope. The promises of God. James continues to a third example. He says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Be patient like the farmer. Be patient like the prophets. Be steadfast like Job. You know the story of the suffering of Job. We walked through it this spring. James holds out Job as an example of the results of suffering. Remember how he started this letter. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know the steadfastness of Job. It came from suffering, from the loss of family and comfort, from disease and death. And in that story, you have seen the purpose of the Lord. He is a compassionate and merciful God. We do not sit in patience for the coming of a vindictive God, of a nefarious God, of a mean God. He is compassionate and merciful. He desires to give you good. He desires to turn his face to you. He is a God who has affection for you. He is a God that gives you what you do not deserve, compassion and mercy. If we can see that in the story of Job, surely it is applicable in our story. His suffering was great and still God's character was revealed. In our lives, suffering, the suffering which we stumble over as we wait for the day, we can still hold on to the same character. The Lord has not changed. The coming day is a good one because we're waiting for the compassionate and merciful God. James started the letter this way. In James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Be patient like the farmer. Be patient like the prophets. Be patient. Suffer well like Job. Because a crown is coming. A loving God is coming. Your tranquil waiting is for the compassionate and merciful Lord. He concludes with a third action. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The three actions, he says, establish your hearts, do not groan, and now do not swear. He says, but above all, or before all, let us again talk about your tongues. Your tongues will show other people who you are. Lying attaches you to the reputation of liars, and truth attaches you to truth-tellers. And James takes this as an opportunity to tell his fellow Christians, do not swear. Do not make frivolous oaths as a means of propping up untruthfulness. These are likely not referring to a formal oath taken in conjunction with a formal setting or with a job, like you see a judge committing himself to an oath. These are the oaths that come out of people's mouths to make their shaky words sound more firm. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear by heaven that I will do this or do that. You can trust me by the very ground that I walk on. I promise I will get it done. You you have to believe me. Friends, if you need to make oaths to convince people to believe you, there is a problem with your relationship with truth. And that is the heart of the issue. We belong to the God of truth and light. There should be no need to prop up your words or need to convince someone of what you say. Your words show us your hope. What are you talking about? 
How are you supporting it? How do you found your arguments and assertions? We are a people that must speak differently because our hope is someone different. If you say yes, then it must be yes. If you say no, then it must be a no. If you say you will do something, then you do that thing. Do not be known for peddling falsehood, half-truths, white lies, fibs, or misleadings. If you say something is so, it must be so. If you say something is false, it must be false. First, your reputation is on the line as a representative of the king of truth. But also, I don't want you to fall under condemnation. Why would you speak in a way that is contrasting the king of truth? Why would you talk in a way that makes you indecipherable from the liars? There must be truth in the patient ones. There must be honesty in the host of Christians. Check your tongue. Do not misrepresent your king by your words. The judge is at the door. Friends, all of this characterizes our actions while we wait. And friends, the Lord is coming. The day is drawing near. We live in a different age. We live in an age initiated by the coming of the Lord Jesus to suffer and die in order to redeem fallen people like you and me. The Lord defeated death and rose again and has the power to restore people like you and me. The world remains unrestored. The world is a raging mess full of suffering at every turn. There is turbulence. There is frustration. And one day, the king will return and right the wrongs and make all things new. But let not our circumstances or environments define the way we wait for that day. Let the one for whom we wait define the way we wait. Let our waiting be tranquil. Let our character be known as steadfast. Establish your hearts with truth. And friends, if you do not know truth, if you do not know this Jesus, this Christ that we wait for, I want you to know him. I also want you to know that he is the judge and he is coming. And that tension you feel about that thought, that tension in your heart and in your soul, it can be relieved to know that he is compassionate and merciful. Will you run to him for mercy? I would beg you to run to him for mercy. I want your waiting for him to be in patience, not in shaking. And friends, fellow Christians, brothers, sisters, siblings of Jesus, let this be a call to patience. Check your posture. Check your heart. Check your tongue. Establish your hearts in truth. Attach yourself to the waiting community. Submit yourself to community. 
Are you grumbling? Friend, don't grumble with each other. Life is hard enough as it is. And if I grumble with a brother, I lose a compatriot. I lose a friend to bear the burden with. Do not grumble. Confess it now and repent. Turn around. Are you following the lead of this world? Confess it now and repent. Turn around. Be patient like the farmer. Hunger for righteousness. Be patient like the prophets, proclaiming the Christ in the face of rejection. Be steadfast like Job in the face of suffering. Friends, there are burdens to bear. There is suffering to experience. But be patient. The King of glory is coming to bring you the crown of life a king of compassion and mercy. May he find us in tranquil waiting. The Lord is coming, Christians. Wait well together until his return. Let's pray. God, I long for that day. We long for that day. May the reality of your coming push away all other diversions. Give us a steadfast longing for your character. Give us a strong longing for your return. Give our speech the cadence of your words. And may we be people known for our waiting, for our steadfastness, for our patience. We long to see the King. Maranatha. God, come quickly. Amen.